Hello folks, our Wimbledon coverage this year is sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues, the home of friendly, competitive tennis in the UK. With over 10,000 players in local tennis leagues up and down the country, it's never been easier to find someone locally with a similar ability to have a hit with. It really is tennis on your terms, competitive and with total control of when and where you play over eight-week rounds. It's also a fun way to get fit, meet new people, make the most of your local park or tennis venue and get those competitive juices flowing. And it's absolutely open to all standards. You just need to be 18 or over to play. So whether you're at the beginning of your tennis journey like me or a master on the court like me, there's something for everyone. Once you're signed up, there's also the chance to win prizes, play for points and receive a free tube of tennis balls just for playing your matches. You also get a host of other great benefits, including access to the Wimbledon ballot. So what are you waiting for? Join local tennis leagues today at www.localtennisleagues.com and use our exclusive checkout code WEEKLY50 in capitals for 50% off your £18 entry fee. That's www.localtennisleagues.com, WEEKLY50 at the checkout. The link is in the description. So get ready to play some friendly competitive tennis on a court near you. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim on today's Wimbledon Round 3 catch-up sponsored by local tennis leagues. Igor Sviontek's streak comes to an end. Nick Kyrgios overcomes Stefanos Sissipas. And Heather Watson's dream run continues. Kim, today is the 2nd of July and we are here to catch up on round three at Wimbledon at Tennis Weekly HQ. We are coming off the back of a really heated, spicy encounter. Nick Kyrgios versus Stefanos Sissipas on court one. Everyone was looking forward to this match. I mean, a lot, maybe 99% of people were looking forward to this match going into it. And it has delivered drama. Nick Kyrgios getting a win. Nick Kyrgios getting frustrated, asking for a default. There was issues around the towel management, even from Sissipas. This match had it all. And I'm amazed that Nick Kyrgios, despite all of the chuntering, all of the things that could have distracted him, he still came out with the victory. Yeah, considering he was sort of having a constant running dialogue, um, <laughs> trying to get his opponent defaulted and just you know having a go at everyone left right and center to to come through in four sets and play decent tennis um you know and to get it done in that that you know nine seven in that fourth set tiebreak and to avoid going to a fifth set um tennis wise you know very good like he did well to come through that match you know he beat um sits pass recently in Halle so had a had a recent win over him so this was always going to be a close encounter we knew there was going to be some aggro but I don't think we well it hasn't yeah it hasn't disappointed us in terms of the aggro that we're getting um in all the press conferences now like after the match finished about you know, an hour and a half, two hours ago, um, all these comments being made. But I guess it kind of started at the end of the second set when Sitspass dropped the set, hit a ball away in frustration. The ball went into the crowd. Um, and Kyrgios's argument was that that was a definite default incident because Sitspass hit a ball deliberately into the crowd. Um, so he was asking 
the supervisor to like default sits pass. <laughs> Asking is putting it nicely. He was demanding. You know, he was so he was demanding. Oh, he was commanding. Yeah, he was like, bring out all the referees onto the court. You're not good enough. Yeah, it was. Uh, he was really adamant that that match had finished in, in in his eyes, and he was so fixated on it. And you know, obviously, it didn't happen at the time, but he was so fixated on that outcome. I think a lot of us just thought this is going to be, you know, the end of him in this match in terms of not being able to concentrate, keep it together. He's got this thing in his head. He's not going to let it go. He's going to, you know, tank the the third set. But that didn't happen. And I think for me, that was like the most surprising thing was that all of this, as you said, all of this sort of monologuing going on during the match, this commentary that he was having with himself, you know, with the umpire, with Sissipas, and also with the, the crowd as well. He was still able to kind of keep focus and play really, really gripping tennis. I mean, we do need to talk about this 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 situation because they are, I feel like, becoming more and more frequent on the tour, and we are getting more and more of these debates on, oh, should this this player get defaulted? And um, you know, in Kyrgios's eyes, he was he instantly thought that he, you know, Sisabas had hit the ball into the crowd. And I think he thought it had hit hit someone. And when it hit someone, 100% of the time, that is going to end in a default. Now, Sissipas got a warning, did not get the, he did not get the, the default that Nick Kyrgios so, so keenly crazed. But, you know, you were in the grounds at the time. I mean, what was, what was your view on it? Was there any sort of hush hush in the, uh, in the crowds? Well, I wasn't at that match. I was on centre court. So um, we only saw like, the live scoreboard coming up we didn't know what was going on apart from you know people on whatsapp telling us so <laughs> i've watched it back briefly um you know the the sits pass hitting the ball out into the crowd but i think i need to see it from more angles because i it's sort of i haven't I, the clip i saw it wasn't really obvious that it was like a really angry hit um i mean perhaps curious assumed it had hit someone in which case i can understand why you'd be like hey that should be a default but um, it it didn't hit anyone, and the rule at the at mo at the moment is that and you know it has to hit someone. I think for the person to be defaulted. Now I think there definitely needs to be a clarity surrounding those rules because you know it can still cause you know it, it's not a great look, obviously, to have someone deliberately hit a ball into the crowd, and and there's the potential to cause harm. And I think they do need to clamp down and be a mu- much stricter and I kind of I, I guess expand those rules out. Um, but maybe in the heat at the moment, Kyrgios, you know, maybe they should have shown him footage or something to be like, no, look, it didn't hit anyone um, to calm it down. I agree. I'm, I think there should be some sort of video referral. It happens so quickly, especially at the end of the set. Lots of things going on. You know, the umpires probably focus on talking about, you know, who won the second set into the, you know, into the microphone. So I do think having a, a video replay could have helped bring light to the, to the situation i mean i've watched uh you know i've watched the clip i watched the clip live i've watched it back my personal feeling is that for once i am on nick Kyrgios's side i do think that stefanos sisabash should have got defaulted for what he did i don't think that was a ball like looped up in the air and went into the crowd it was quite a flat hit you know he was frustrated and angry and I personally don't really care if if it hit someone or it didn't I don't think that should matter 
you're endangering fans who've paid lots of money to be there and they should feel safe in you know in their seat watching a watching a tennis match and as a result of that I just think that Sissipas yes with the current ruling maybe got in my view very very lucky in terms of the fact that it looked like it's went between two in between two spectators heads and hit a back wall but I, I just think in the future we shouldn't have you know fans worried when they go on the court whether they're going to be there's going to be a ball flying towards them and, and causing them some sort of you know damage or, or injury so I think that they they do they do need to look at it in terms of it doesn't matter if it hit, hit someone or not if you endanger someone around the court with a show of aggression, i.e., it wasn't, you know, accidental. Like hit, uh, you know, the hit the frame of your racket. Then I think it does need to, you know, it should warrant something like a like a default or certainly a very strong sanction. Well, I mean, as the rules stand at the moment, it's not a default because it didn't hit anyone. But like, mm. yeah, they, they need to increase the the rule book basically make make them more severe and, and get it it's get it. just not as black as what it's i just don't think it's as black and white as oh it didn't hit someone so it's all fine and, and well we no on. and i guess it's like the intent as well of of the hit you know mm. is it a really angry hit or is it just sort of like a you know oh i was actually putting the ball to the back of the court to the ball kid and i went really wrong or sort of thing um but i guess mm. then you know the thing is a, a rule yeah, it's going to be open to interpretation and subjectivity. So you have got to have some kind of defining characteristic. But I think it certainly should be clarified. But I mean, is Nick Kyrgios really the person to be asking for an opponent to be defaulted? I think at the Australian Open this year, he did something extremely similar, um, almost hit a child in the crowd. Um, he wasn't defaulted. You know, yet he was making the point that Djokovic got defaulted for hitting that line judge at the US Open in 2020. Well, the point with that is that he did actually hit the line judge. The ball hit her on, you know, Mm. on the throat. So that's an actual hit, you know. So I don't, I think he was using some very flawed logic there. But, you know, lo and behold, they didn't default its pass. Um, But Kyrgios just kind of carried on, you know, doing his usual whinging and moaning and then obviously we had a few <laughs> points where Sitspass was hitting shots at Kyrgios so mm. I mean to be honest with you I mean I'm not the greatest fan of, of either of these players because I feel that both of them bring antics to a tennis court that we don't need and I'd be quite happy to have had them both defaulted to be quite honest with you let Nakashima go through to the quarterfinals. There we go. <laughs> well, well, I know, I, I, I know, I know what you're saying, Kim. And I mean, you know, both players could have arg- had arguments to say, you know, the other their opponents should have got defaulted. We've just spoken about Kyrgios's argument on on Sissipas, and I think one of the things that Sissipas was frustrated with, particularly in those first three sets, was just the amount that that Kyrgios he felt was getting away with, and you know, I get that umpiring in a Sissipas Kyrgios match or in any Nick Kyrgios match is a very hard situation to be in. You need to be at the top of your game in order to, you know, handle that, um, you know, that pressure and that environment that you just know is going to could kind of kick off at, you know, at any moment. But certainly I do think that Kyrgios was maybe allowed a little bit more leeway than he he should have. And it was amazing that Sissipas Sissipas was the one who was who got the point penalty first of all, and not Kyrgios. So you know, I do I do wonder if the umpire could have been a bit more 
I think he was a little bit too lenient, um, you know, early on, you know, in that match. But it was fascinating, I think, with the, the crowd dynamic, because I felt like going into the match, everyone was sort of rooting for, you know, Sissipas and Kyrgios was like the pantomime villain. But I completely felt like during that match, there was a complete shift. And it was almost kind of like a double face turn in terms of, Kyrgios went from villain to hero and Sissipas went from hero to villain, which you again, you just do not see a lot in, in, in tennis matches, but it happens obviously when there are two very combustible players on the court. And I think with Sissipas, the, the more that match went on, the more it became a grudge match, the more it became like a personal affair that he took emotionally. That is when I felt that Kyrgios dragged Sissipas down to his level and that is when I thought, oh, Kyrgios, he could come through and win this. And yes, he's you know got the beating of him you know in their previous matches, but certainly in this match, when I thought Sissipas showed those those emotions, that anger, I was like, even if Kyrgios is going to be chuntering to himself across you know throughout the match, he's playing an opponent who is also emotionally vulnerable. Yeah, and I think. You know, Kira sort of known that Sitspas doesn't like it when a match becomes quite personal. So I reckon Kira mm. was upping the ante in terms of all his his chats around the court because mm. he knows that Sitspas will not like that. I mean, if you're Sitspas, you you have kind of got to just rise above it and not let that get to you. Like I think that's the way to to behave against Kyrgios is literally it's so weird him because he literally loves these all these these philosophical comments on Twitter and presenting himself as this like cool dude really zen really chill but again in these in these moments and perhaps it's a learning you know experience for him that in these big matches his emotions got the better of him and and ultimately that's led to him going home early in in the tournament and it's something that maybe he needs to work on in terms of coming up against these emotional players. And yeah, I can be zen and chilled when I'm playing players who are also kind of, you know, bottle up their emotions, don't really kind of show it on the court. But he needs to be able to maybe do that against players who don't fit into that mould. And certainly you would you would classify Nick Kyrgios as one of those. Yeah, and in the post-match press conferences, Sitspas has been saying that Kyrgios is um, a bully, saying it's constant bullying, that he bullies opponents, that he was probably Mm. a bully in school, uh, that he has a very evil side to him. I mean, he also did say that he has some good characteristics as well. But in response to that, I think Kyrgios has come out to say that Sitspas is being soft to say that he's a bully. And so it's, it's continuing. It's amazing they used to play doubles together. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just not a good look. Like, we should be talking about tennis, not comments in press conferences and, you know, comments on a court and, and this sort of behaviour. And it's sort of the same thing, like, all the time with Kyrgios. And, mm. you know, we, we speak about it at length and perhaps we shouldn't so much, but it is the, the top thing, you know, it's trending. We have to address it. I mean, talking about his, his tennis then... If we just like put all that to one side and talk about his tennis, because it was very, very good. And I think some people forget how good his tennis is, given you know the antics that are on display. I mean, we haven't even talked about the underarm tweener serve that he did, 
which was unbelievable. I was just kind of like, when's the underarm serve going to come out? And then he does it through the legs, which I just thought was, you know, it was just incredible. But um, again, he's a player who's just got immense talent. I think he knows that this is a moment for him to, you know, go further than ever before in a, in a Grand Slam. I think I was reading you know, on his debut at Wimbledon, he reached the, the quarterfinals. I mean, he's got a very potentially nice draw now through to the you know maybe even to get to the the semi-finals but this is a big moment for him and maybe he was feeling that tension you know throughout the match because in that fourth set you know towards the end Sissipas really was knocking on the door of taking it to a fifth um you know he had set point um he was a f- couple of points uh you know away on Nick Kyrgios's serve a few times wasn't able to do it and you just felt that if he had pushed it to a fifth Nick probably would have just capitulated in, in you know maybe in like a 6-1 6-2 loss but the fact that he was able to keep together perhaps reflects just how much he knows that this could be a moment for him I think he knows it could be a moment for him and I think that's also why he was trying so hard to get its pass defaulted because he knew that this match was mm. the toughest one he's gonna he have doesn't care how while. he just wants to go through yeah and I think you know no offense to Nakashima like I saw his match today you know he he did well to come through in straight sets against mm. um uh, Daniel Gallan, um, but I don't think Nakashima's going to be able to defeat Kyrgios unless Kyrgios is kind of, well, something, you know, uh, extra happens. But um, I know Kyrgios is immensely talented, but I know this might sound harsh, but it's a talent I cannot appreciate because of all the other stuff. It gets in the way. I can't forget about how how can I watch a tennis match with him playing when it's just constant misbehavior constant disrespect it's not a good look he's not a good role model it's tiring and I I, I'm tired of like saying this every time (laughs) these things happen but I can't appreciate his talent because of all the other stuff and maybe I'm Mm. being um I'm not able to like separate the two but I just for me it's 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 a no it's a no from me sorry (laughs) (laughs) um but I think yeah like in terms of he's got a really good shot at getting through to you know potentially the final um dare I say it winning the tournament and Mm. it's like oh so are you gonna suddenly try and focus on your tennis because you like maybe Mm. cut the antics out and you could actually win this thing yeah well maybe you know maybe with each match who knows? I, you know, I, I don't think this will happen. But you know, the more we get into uncharted territory or territory we haven't been in for so long with Nick Kyrgios, maybe his mind becomes more focused, and you know, he becomes it becomes more of a reality for him that he's not just you know here to entertain the crowd and you know do that through tweeners or other sort of antics. But maybe he thinks. I've got real shot here at, you know, winning a Grand Slam and, you know, fulfilling on, you know, all that talent and that potential that, you know, has been spoken about me for so long. So I think there's this interesting dynamic that we could see with Kyrgios, you know, with these matches as we go through. Now, you know, against Nakashima, I do, I do agree. I think that that's a player who, you know, he's just going to play his game and he's probably going to be quite reserved on you know on the tennis court unlike someone like a Stefanos Sissipas so you know that might frustrate Nick you know Nick Kyrgios we 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 don't know but you would feel like with the way Kyrgios is playing his serve he showed some lovely touches at the net as well he's going to be a threat going forward 
Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, a lot of people were saying that that match today should have been on centre court. But, well, I think I, don't... I think the Wimbledon organisers were fearful of sullying centre court with Nick Kyrgios' antics was my Quite. sort of take on exactly. it. Exactly. I think I saw someone on Twitter say... Um, I can't remember who it was now. My my brain is frazzled. It's super late. Um, <laughs> I've had a long day at the tennis. Um, you know, yeah, it, it's not classy enough for centre court. You know, it's it's not mm. respectful. The behaviour. It of, was a circus of match. Both of them. Yeah, it's. They, mm. do we, it was a circus yeah, match, wasn't it? Exactly. It was. It was a very marmite match. It sounds. You know, your person who <laughs> I can sense over the last fifty minutes, you do not like these sorts of matches. Whereas I absolutely love them because they just to me bring in a crowd that yeah it is not very Wimbledon and I don't think it's yeah I don't think it's that it's not a Wimbledon crowd for me I think it's the hyper masculinity in the crowd it's it's this Mm. sort of overtly aggressive almost yeah the kind of I I always sort of say like the post work five o'clock oh we've had several mm. beers and we're quite leery crowd mm. and i don't i don't like that you know i'm i love it kim yeah but probably because you're a bloke i mean i don't know <laughs> i i just i always find that you know mm. vast majority of nick Kyrgios fans are young men <laughs> and i'm not saying there's no women that like nick Kyrgios, but i i think it's there is definitely a mm. uh a divide there so we come at it from different perspectives but let's talk about other players now because we don't want to do a whole episode on on Kyrgios and Sitspas um I think that would be a bit over the top um we did have Rafa playing against Lorenzo Sonigo um this was a pretty standard straight set 6-1-6-2-6-4 job I was I was at the match um Rafa was definitely playing his best match best tennis of of the championship so far yeah good result yeah from the word go he was he was much more on it and Sonigo was making way too many unforced errors and only really got going uh sort of midway through that third set um they had to stop to, to close the roof and when they came back, Sonigo, I think was yeah, he was able to break back, uh, and Rafa was able to then break immediately. But the, I guess the key talking point from this was um, the 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 grunting from Sonigo, which, to be mm. fair, as a crowd member, no one really noticed this. You know, we were quite bemused when Rafa asked to have a word with Sonigo. No one was kind of really knowing what was going on. Um, but yes, this is sort of I think drawn out grunting uh Rafa was obviously having an issue with it he had spoken to the umpire about it but I guess it was continuing so he he um you know had a word of Sonigo at the net which later on he said that he he does um regret that he um kind of spoke to him at the net about it like he perhaps shouldn't have spoken to him at that particular time and place but um and then at the end of the match they had a little kind of discussion over it which you know I've not privy to the exact words that are being said, but you know, compared to the antics going on on court one, it was all very um, calm and diplomatic, actually. <laughs> Yet some people were calling it spicy. I don't think there was really that much spice. I think that's an exaggeration. Yeah, I think you know the situation was diffused by you know by the end. I you know I was a little bit surprised. I know I've seen. I think we've seen Rafa do this before. I remember in the Australian Open, you know, him and Denis Shapovalov just. Uh, spoke directly to each other as opposed to like through the umpire um, you know during the match just to sort of settle out um, you know settle out an issue and I think it was a similar sort of situation here 
I don't know if Sonigo like appreciated it at, at the time, and I was a bit surprised maybe the sort of directness of of Nadal. But if the umpire is not doing anything or, or hasn't resolved it, then it might just be easier for the two players to just kind of just kind of talk it out between the point and you know get get what get whatever it is uh, you know resolved. And obviously Nadal felt that he needed to kind of put the front foot on that and you know make that um, you know make that known to kind of Sonigo. I mean, we have spoken previously on the pod about Sonigo and his grunting and his delayed grunting and whether it is hindrance on you know his opponent when they are hitting the ball um you know it is a very elongated sound and you know it's ama- it's amazed me that it's taken this long i feel i can't remember like you know players getting particularly kind of angry about it i was sort of hoping sonigo would actually you know change the way he hits the ball in terms of what sound he is making or or maybe even just shorten that sound because it for me is a bit too long personally so it's nice i think for rafa just to kind of communicate maybe it could have been done in private and perhaps nadal felt that at the end of the match i mean he said he sort of regretted i think just doing it out on the court maybe he thought hey worked with shapovalov at the australian open maybe i'll work with with sonigo at wimbledon but that aside kim i mean his his performance was so so much better i feel than we've seen in the first two rounds and against against a better opponent as well an opponent that you know has shown form you know, on a grass court, I thought was going to be a lot of a much trickier proposition. So it must be really encouraging given he's gone into the second week and he's played his, you know, he's played his best match against a player who I think many of us thought was, you know, decent for at least, you know, one set. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm sure, I, th- I think um, Rafa's since said that they've he's spoken to him in the locker room. I, I'm sure they've resolved it all. I think, you know, he just said that he really didn't want to have caused any like significant mm. offence or anything, which, you know, um, like obviously we know Rafa's a class act and I'm sure it will all have been settled. Um, but yes, tennis wise, he, he needs to step it up. He, like obviously his first two matches, he wasn't at the level we know he needs to be able to be in with a shot to like win the title. So today was a, a step in the right direction. He's got Botic van der Zandschorp next, um, who, you know, has a really decent game for grass, recent queen semi-finalist. Mm, yeah. They they did play at Roland Garros uh, recently. And obviously Rafa won that one, but I feel like this will be a slightly different story on grass. Uh, van der Zandschorp came through a, a quite a close match with uh, Richard Gasquet. And Gasquet should have won that first set in that match. He was, I think, mm. serving for it was five three yeah. up and ended up losing it so um you know Zand- van der Zandschulk through into the fourth round it's going to be a, a tricky encounter I think and Rafa's got to make sure he's he's still on it uh like he was today um I mean we've had a few other uh sort of fairly comfortable victories today Alex de Menor straight sets over Liam Brody uh I was kind of hoping Brody when he when he broke back at the um end of that third set I was hoping he might be able to mm. you know sneak a set but it obviously wasn't to be it was very close wasn't yeah. it that third that towards the end of that third set you did I felt he was good for a set I was mm. I was a bit yeah disappointed he wasn't able to make it a little bit more interesting but Alex de Menor, he's just a very smart customer isn't he on a on a grass court that win you know against Jack Draper now Liam Brody 
into the you know the fourth week i think sorry into the fourth week into the fourth round <laughs> how long is this tournament? Week. <laughs> <laughs> but he's having he's producing some career best results this season and i think this is another one to add into his um you know into his highlights for this season because i think this is a, a career best result for de Menor getting to the fourth round and he's a very he's going to be a very tricky player you know come the you know come the second week given his movement around the court and uh, yeah, it was just a bit too much for Brody today. And Taylor Fritz was too much for Alex Malkin. That was a straight sets win as well. And Christian Garin won through over Jensen Brooksby mm. as well. So uh, yeah, Chris- Christian, Christian Garin, Clay Clay Quarter. <laughs> I know, back to back fourth rounds at Wimbledon. Really? Um, Two in did, a row? Yeah, he did the oh. same. Yep, did the same last time. Um, which feels strange because yeah, he's not really done anything at the French Open. And we just think... He should be back to back fourth rounds at the French Open, not not Wimbledon. I know we we well, we're doing him a disservice, clearly. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we do have, along with Alex Minor and Nick Kyrgios, we've got a third Australian in the fourth round as well with Jason Kubler, who is a qualifier, uh, beat Dan Evans in the first round. He's come all the way through uh, to the fourth round, beating Jack Sock today in five sets. So it's the first time since 2002 that we've got three Aussie men uh, at this stage of the tournament. Um, yeah, Jason Kubler, I literally, you know, as as many qualifiers, I, I don't know much about him, but apparently he um, had a really awful knee injury uh, earlier in his career and he was out for a, a long time, lots of surgeries, had to play on clay courts for a few years. Um, so the fact that he's got to the fourth round on a grass court slam is, yeah, pretty pretty cool <laughs> that dan evans defeat for dan evans fans is looking better mm, by the round isn't it absolutely. Um, yeah no jason jason kubler was you know great a big missed opportunity it has to be said for you know another qualifier and jack sock who is a player who looks like you know he might be getting back to at least some sort of semblance of form he showed you know that all those years ago it feels like now um you know on, on the atp tour so you know promising result for him but yeah for kubler just you know, just great. I mean, he's won 22 of his last 25 matches. He is on some real, real momentum. And as you said, you can't just help but feel happy for him given his story in tennis. You know, he's 29 years old. He's had six knee surgeries. I mean, as an Andy Murray fan, I feel like I could relate to uh, Jason Kubler fans given, you know, the amount of pain that he and rehab that he must have kind of gone through over the years. And, you know, the fact that he Kim, as you said, has spent four years of his professional career playing exclusively on clay courts to avoid any kind of structural damage to his knees. Uh, just shows his dedication to the sport, you know, his commitment and his his drive to kind of keep going in in the you know in the face of you know this you know these knee injuries. And you know, when I was reading about them, these are this is a hereditary knee injury. This is something that's not going away. So it's amazing that he's being able to kind of manage this and. Yeah, this season's just been great for him. He he reached the mixed doubles final at the Australian Open, um, you know, his home country back in in January, and uh, you know now to add to that fourth round as a qualifier, I believe he's only the second qualifier to do that this season. 
the other one was Zapata Morales Woo! the French Open. <laughs> I know I needed to get Zapata Morales reference in there, but um, yeah, nice, nice story for, for Jason Kuba coming through um, into the second week as a qualifier. Every podcast has to have a Zapata Morales uh, reference <laughs> in. Well, I will say though, he will be annoyed. I think though, he will be annoyed that yes, the prize money will be great. And I think he's going to seriously, uh, I think, I think he'd earned like kind of six, seven hundred thousand dollars, I think. And he's he's now set down like two hundred thousand or something like that. But I feel like these sorts of players are the most who are going to be annoyed about the fact that there are no ranking points because his ranking would have shot right up, I imagine, from wherever he you know he is in the in the world, probably outside the you know, the top hundred. Yeah, I just feel like that's probably the one sort of annoying thing for him, given you know how well he's performed. Absolutely. And I mean, talking of other players who have done very, very well um, at this slam won't benefit in terms of ranking points. Harmony Tan, you know, she's into the fourth mm. round. She she thrashed Katie Balter today. Um, I, I was not expecting that this scoreline, I have to say. I thought I thought they would be a lot closer. I thought, oh, Balter's in with a chance here. Um, I, I was not <laughs> expecting that match to be on court two, to be quite honest. Or I first was very... on. I thought 11am court two. That, yeah, that's not that the is, time for that that's match. That's a rough. That is a rough deal, I feel, for Katie Balter, given, you know, what we saw of her against Krachikova, um, you know, the round before on a show court. Um, I thought that was particularly unfair. Oh, sorry, Krachikova, Plishkova. Again, my Grand Slam <laughs> finalists, um, you know, mixed up. But um, yeah, I thought that was disappointing, but um, not as disappointing as the result. Uh, you know, I think Balter has admitted afterwards she was almost emotionally spent going into the match. She wasn't, she was feeling, I think, quite jaded and uh, that probably didn't help. I do wonder if she was a little bit flummoxed by the spins and the different sorts of pace that Harmony Tan was putting on the ball. Because if you compare that to the previous round when she was playing Pushkova, who likes to hit a flat ball, it's a hard ball, you know what's, you know what generally what's coming at you. Um, Whereas there's a lot more variety there from from Tan to deal with. And perhaps that was something that you know Katie Balter just just was not able to deal with. Well, she just wasn't able to deal with throughout the match. And it was, you know, over over, I think, in what, fifty-five minutes, under an hour. And um yeah, it was I think fascinating to me how Balter maybe she can play, you know, on a show court and love you know, love that atmosphere and environment. And be able to hit clean striking tennis against a, you know, a big a big hitting ball player like a you know Pushkova, but come up against someone who's a little more nimble, doesn't necessarily rely on that power game like Tan. She becomes a little bit more unstuck. Yeah, and if she was, you know, like she said, going into it mentally and physically sort of drained, you know, you're going to need all the sort of mental activity to be able to figure out a. a slightly unorthodox game coming at you rather than just someone that's going to like feed into like your baseline game so I suppose it's yeah a mixture of factors but I just thought it was a shame it was on so early like you know give 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 her a bit of like chance to to kind of get the crowd going it, it's it's you know the the crowds have not been complete at 11 a.m you know there's empty seats and I just don't think it was savor this moment yeah I, mean... I think she could have done better with the scheduling but I mean that's that's not her like you've got to play with where you've got to play um we had a, also a big result on the on the women's side with Igor Svrontek bowing out to Elise Cornet 
straight set six four six two. Um, the the streak is over thirty seven matches, and it's it's ended in the third round at Wimbledon. Uh, not the first time that Cornet has has beaten a world number one. Um, we we know that she can take a scalp on her day. She beat Serena here back in 2014, also in the third round. She beat Serena three times that season, and I, I remember that when I was following tennis. Uh, you know, all those all those years ago. But it just it just was. Yeah, she 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 is as a player. who just she just plays with total freedom, doesn't she? When she comes up against players that are that higher ranked than her yeah and she's sort of having a, a twilight of her career you know Cornet got to the quarters at the AO this year you know she beat Halep en route to that um now she's up against Tom Janovic in the next round so one of them is going to be in the quarters and I mean it's mm. it's funny isn't it Cornet was saying at the start of the year she was thinking about retiring but and now she's you know having some fantastic uh results at slams this year she spoke about herself as I'm like a good wine in France, good wine always ages well. well that's a good analogy. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, on that analogy, I mean, yeah, maybe she is having, you know, second thoughts about um, you know, retirement. Um, maybe play a, you know, maybe play another season. If you're if you're gonna be getting older, getting better, um and you know, putting getting these results in, you know, why you know, why not stick around? And um, you know, against Igor Sviontek, she was you know, she was she was great. I mean, I think Sviontek, the the thing that did her in in that match was just the number of unforced errors that she was uncharacteristically, uh, you know, giving three points to, to Cornet. And um, yeah, you know, credit to Cornet. I think she moved Sviontek all around the, the court. And, uh, you know, she's a very experienced competitor. And as you said, loves a, an upset. Serena Williams back in 2014 on this court, you know, good memories. Simona Halep as well, you know, in the Australian Open earlier this year. And um yeah, she um yeah, she, it's a it's a it's an interesting one for Shontek because I just think that she came into this without a lead, you know, without a lead up tournament. And yeah, we've always kind of described her as the Queen of Clay. But I again I just think with this result, it just shows I just how hard that transition is, I think. Mm. Yeah, we from clay to grass without a lead up tournament. You're not helping prolong the. You're not helping prolong the streak with that sort of uh, with that sort of schedule. Yeah, I I feel that if she had played a warm up though, she might have mentally burnt herself out, and then you know she'd have come mm. to Wimbledon and and perhaps been feeling a bit like oh she she needed longer between the French Open and here. So I understand completely why she didn't play a warm up event, but I think with this one you're going a set down. You know, she. I think in all her her streak, she has only been set down sort of once. I think so. She's not used to kind of having to come back. And I'm not saying that she she can't do that. Obviously, she can. But I think it's just a combination of things. She just wasn't at the races today. And Cornet is not the player you want to have down the other end. And actually, Cornet bageled her at the at the end because Shrontek was too love up in that second set. And you know, six two in the end. So, um. Yeah, I, th- I think it's not a surprise. I-, I think I messaged you before the match. I thought, oh, I feel like Cornet's gonna gonna do this one today. I just kind of had a feeling. Um, but yeah, she wanted just said she didn't really know what to do on the day. She didn't have a plan to, to come yeah. back in the match. I mean, she's still yeah, she's still obviously learning, you know, on on grass. And we do know her as the you know the the, the queen of clay. And um, I think we'll continue to know her as that, but. 
again, it just shows that I think that there are kind of times for her. You know, there are there are still kind of areas that she, that she can she can improve. And I think when we do look back on this this streak, I think you know what, what's been great about it is I think it's come at a time I think where you know obviously with Ash Barty retiring, her going on this crazy streak has really been a I would say a shot in the arm for the you know the WTA tour in in terms of giving talkability to the tour having eyes on the world number one so I think it's it's been great from that perspective and I have no doubt that Sean Tech will bounce back um you know come the you know the hard court swing you know later on in in the season but um yeah just a, a step too far this year at Wimbledon definitely and we also saw today Paola Badosa beating Petra Kvitova so both of my picks for the women's title have gone uh, in Shontag <laughs> and Kvitova um Kvitova went off to a flying start in this match um you know she got an early break I think could have been a double break potentially um but Badosa was able to to peg it back to peg her back and clinch that first set 7-5 and then um they you know they were holding went to the tie break and yeah Badosa able to um to do it in two tight sets. So um, I thought that was a really gritty result uh, from Bedosa. And I think it was her first time on on the centre court as well. So um, considering she, um, you know, in, in the run up to, to Wimbledon. Um, like, she lost to Jodie Burridge. She lost early in Eastbourne, didn't she? Uh, yeah, was it to, to Burridge? Yeah, so <laughs> I wasn't really expecting. I thought Kovitova would maybe come through this, but obviously Badosa picking up form just at the right time um and I think she is going to be playing Simona, Simona Halep. Halep next so that's an interesting one because Halep came through very easily against Magdalena Freck uh today straight sets but I feel like Halep hasn't been fully tested yet so this will be the biggest challenge is Simona Halep finally going to get on centre court is my question Kim because <laughs> Because I, what does she have to do this year? I feel to get on centre court. She's not been on there yet. She's the 2019 champion, and uh, yeah, I feel like all the seeds are dropping around her. And yeah, she's not really had a look in. I've, I feel on the show courts got overlooked. Um, you know, to open as well. Um, back, uh, you know, on 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 day two, uh, for the women. So um, that's the that's the question I want the the answer to. Um, before we go on to the ad break as well, we did have a win. Uh, for Anisimova, uh, battle of two Americans. Anisimova defeated Coco Goff, six seven six two six one. Bit of a topsy turvy opening set. I think both players led by a break, um, but Go- Coco was able to just sort of nab it um, in the tiebreak. But from then on, Anisimova, I think, just got used to the the Goff game and uh, yeah, just sort of powered her off the court. I think Goff. Watching some of the highlights, I think Goff was maybe a little bit too defensive and maybe that worked for her on, on the clay. But if you're defensive against someone like Anna Samova, I think, you know, if you just give her a ball in the middle of the court, she's going to she's gonna hit it true. And, you know, the speed of the court is just going to help her hit and compile winners. And, um, yeah, I just felt Anna Samova's very offensive game helped her um, against Goff, who I think was just a little bit too defensive. Yeah, I think she, she went for it more and, and it paid off. So, yeah, well done, Anisimova. Um, Rybakina also coming through and Petra Martic as well today. Um, so, yeah, great wins for both of those. Um, Jessica Pagula out to Martic. So, I was, uh, yeah, she's uh, she's not made it through to the second week of a slam, which she has been of doing of late, you know, 
very consistent, but not to be this time. Uh, but let's take a quick break now. Uh, do join us in the second half. We'll be looking back all the action from uh, Friday, day five at the championships. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to our Wimbledon Round 3 catch-up, sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues. And let's move back on to talking about all the action from day five. Friday, uh, we had the first day of, of round three. We had Brits in action, Heather Watson, Cam Norrie. And unlike today, where we saw Brody and Porter both lose, uh, yesterday, both, both of the Brits won. And uh, I mean, let's start with Heather Watson, because this was... A, a, just a brilliant story and, and result you know she's made it through to the fourth round of a grand slam for the first time and to do it at home at Wimbledon um absolutely fantastic she won in straight sets against Kaya Yuvan 7-6-6-2 um I was I mean a straight sets victory for Heather Watson on centre court in a grand slam is um just doesn't happen very often <laughs> Or rather, sorry, court one. It wasn't centre court. Court one. Yeah, no, she's on. She's on centre court. She's on centre court tomorrow. Four. Yeah. Yes, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, great victory for Heather. It was a little bit nervy, uh, you know, in that in that second set. I think she was she raced into like a I think a five love lead, and then Yuvan started to turn on. I felt she just hit free, you know, hit freely, given that she was so close to defeat, and actually put Watson under a bit of pressure and. You know, you just always wonder with Watson, as I said, she's got that, you know, having followed her for so long, you know that she's just got that fragility in her that you wonder at any moment the match could turn. And again, I was a little bit nervous in those in those moments. So it was it was impressive to see her just kind of stop that momentum that it seemed that Yuvan was was building and uh, yeah, coming through 7-6-6-2. I mean, Fantastic result. First time now into round four um, at a Grand Slam. First time into round four at Wimbledon. And yeah, that that match was was impressive. Um, you know, she just played, she just played very fearless tennis. You know, she just was, you know, hitting winners, coming to the net, finishing the points off. And although Yuvan again had her moments, you know, Watson's level of tennis, you know, it surprised me a bit because, you know, she is now ranked 121 in the world but she's certainly not showing that that form of tennis I think and um I think it's it's a great I think this 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 you know this two weeks you know her her winning matches as well in the in the doubles um I think this is a real rejuvenation I think for her for this season um you know we've you know I remember looking at some of the results she's had you know in the first six months of the year and they've you know they've been I'm not gonna lie they've been they've been pretty bad they've, some of them have been downright shocking but this this last couple of weeks have just been absolutely fantastic for her. Yeah, and she's got um, Yul Niemeyer next. Um, mm. So a player that like no one really knows an awful lot about, um, but who beat Annette Conteve uh, earlier in the week. But for, for Heather Watson, that is a certainly a, a winnable match. I just hope she doesn't put too much pressure on herself thinking, oh, you know, I'm not up against a big name or... A seed or anything I, I I'm kind of expected to to go through again and, and and I feel like you know she's she is better as the underdog where she can just go for it and I mean she's got nothing to lose she's she's already no. um well, nor does Nima well exactly neither of them so hopefully it'll be a great <laughs> match but I'm I mean oh just yeah come on come on have come on have it might just be a match that just comes down to who who can hold 
you know their nerves yeah. together the most because mm-hmm. this is such an open part of the draw potential you know being a quarter finalist at a grandstand for the first time both players will think maybe this is never gonna this opportunity is never gonna be so open for me ever again so it very much it very well might come down to a battle of nerves the fact that you know this is a match that is going to be on center court if if you're looking at this match i think in isolation kim let's be honest this 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 match feels like it could be like a wta one two five round one match not a, a grand slam you know round four match to say the least but um you know that's that's where we're at given how the draw has you know has unfolded and both players i think will be looking to yeah to capitalize on the moment yeah for sure and um i mean we've also got on the women's side um we've got uh, maria zachary out so the fifth seed out to tatiana maria who is um you know kind of in in the twilight of her career you know age 34 uh, i know there was a big song and dance about maria winning a title wasn't there was it last year because she's a mother of two and you know um that was all a, a big storyline i know that was it she won she won bogota um this year only her second career title but yeah so she 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 beat uh, she beat Zachary um <laughs> thinking Maria Zachary and Tatiana Maria there's a lot of Maria's going on there <laughs> Maria beat Maria um so yeah Tatiana Maria is through she will face Yelena Ostapenko so Ostapenko keeping up her her good form from, from Eastbourne when she reached the final um she made it through also wins for Onjibor um very comfortable against Diane Parry on center court I kind of, I've got good vibes about Angebor. You know, she had such a disappointing French Open where there was a lot of hype. And I feel like coming into this tournament... She's on the comeback, Kim. She's on the comeback, Kim. Yeah, and she, she won Birmingham, didn't she? So, But I feel like mm. there hasn't been as much attention. And I think that's that's helped her. But she's only dropped 13 games in her first three matches. So she's winning comfortably. She's got Elise Mertens next. Who? Yeah. You know. Well, uh, well, Kim. She's she's got perennial round round four <laughs> fodder like ex Yeah, Elise Mertens. So, yeah, you'd feel you'd feel yeah that your ball could come through that. I don't don't sense that Mertens, you know, has got the the edge there. She did have a good victory against Angie Kerber um, mm. in, in round three, but certainly. On Jabour, I mean, even in, in the top half is the you know is the favourite. We've got Bushkova and Garcia also winning. They will face off against each other. And Maria's Maria uh, Kim has got Yelena Ostapenko, who you know a player who is is very much at the best of times, hit and miss. Um, and even against Begu in the in the third round, there was a lot of hit and there was a lot of miss. She won three six six one six one. But another player, I I just think you can't count out. Given she is a former Grand Slam champion, she knows what it takes to get to the final and you know and to win the thing. So another player, I think, is going to be quite tricky and quite difficult but also we just know that she could capitulate at any moment exactly uh, yeah and um i mean i don't mean to go on about this again joel but caroline garcia the renaissance is still going on <laughs> she won against shang shui uh two tie breaks so she is through to play marie buskova who has somehow made it through into the fourth round although i have absolutely I, i've no idea how marie buskova got there um in the in the sense of not she beat danielle collins in round one kid not that yeah i just haven't 
even seen her name on the order of play so i'm just she's like miraculously appeared and i don't mean to sound like i'm not trying to belittle marie buskova because she'll probably go and beat caroline garcia tomorrow but it's just you know there's so much going on and you know i've been at wimbledon a few days and it's like hectic so i've just yeah i'm sorry marie i haven't been following all your matches um but yeah that's first up on court two tomorrow so i would i'd love um garcia to make another quarterfinal she's only reached one in her career uh, of the singles anyway. So I just, yeah, really hope she can get through. I mean, they've got, uh, France have got three French women at this stage, you know, with Cornet and uh, Harmony Tan and also Garcia. So yeah, good, good tournament for French women. Um, Let's see if they can keep, keep going. Um, But we also, yeah, had on the men's side on Friday, uh, Yannick Sinner, he came through against John Isner, straight sets, much to the dismay of Andy Murray fans who were, bemoaning the fact that you know John Isner obviously couldn't keep his his amazing form up um and yeah wasn't quite at the uh the level needed to to overcome Yannick Sinner he wasn't able to make any inroads on the on the Sinner serve I don't think Sinner faced a single break point so um I think that kind of says it all really you know you you can serve your way through but you've got to be able to return serve as well haven't you and break (laughs) I mean, John Isner, I think he's now holds the record for the most ever aces on the ATP tour. So that's something he can take away. But I do, I do agree with you. I think when all is said and done, done yes, John Isner has had good results at Grand Slams and, you know, he had a, you know, very memorable match that's in the record books against, uh, you know, Nicola Mahu, um, all those years ago at Wimbledon. But he is just, I just think he's just going to be known as the guy who had one of the greatest serves of all time. And he's just going to be known for, you know, how many aces he served, how many free points he got and use, and that being the bedrock of his game. And, you know, that's the one shot that he, you know, has just utilized throughout his career. And, you know, it was impressive against Andy Murray, but it certainly faltered against Yannick Sinner. And, um, you know, I thought this was going to be a lot trickier than it was. I thought it was going to have more than just one tie break in it. So, um, yeah, Yannick Sinner did very, very well to come through that in straight sets. Absolutely. And uh, another um, match, Joel, that was straight sets. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yes. very comfortable, which I feel like we should hang our heads in shame because we, well, we both said that this could be a potential banana skin for Carlos Alcaraz playing Oscar <laughs> Otter. And in the end... Alcaraz won and only lost six games. It was a very one-sided <laughs> match. He played super oh, well. Yes. Um, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, Otter didn't have an answer. You know, Carlos Alcaraz was all, all over him. Um, only eight unforced errors. Definitely like the best we've seen Alcaraz on this surface and, and obviously so far in this tournament. So, um, yeah, I definitely called that one completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, Sinner Alcaraz next round, that's one of the marquee ties, I think, for tomorrow in round four. But yeah, this was a great performance from Alcaraz. Probably the best match he's ever played on a grass court. And I certainly think against Yannick Sinner, he's going to need to be playing close to that level, you know, to have a chance. I, I put Sinner maybe as a slight favourite, actually, in that matchup against Alcaraz, simply because of the lack of Alcaraz experience, you know, on this court, I just think Sinner maybe has a little bit more. And given the way he's been returning uh, based on, you know, what he did against John Isner. Yeah. I put, I put 
Sinner as a slight favourite, but I wouldn't be surprised, Kim, if that turns into an absolute slugfest and who knows, goes goes deep into a fifth set. Yeah, and um I yeah, I, I agree. I think I think you're <laughs> it could well do. Um we also, Joel, very excitingly, Tim Van Reithoven <laughs> into the fourth round. His his dream run is continuing. I mean he's got Novak Djokovic in the fourth round, but at least he gets his moment on centre court against yeah, you know, the number one seed, um, Tim Van Rijthoven. What a story! Yeah, he came through against Basilashvili. Um, I mean, great stuff. I'm, I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy he got the wild card into the tournament, and that he's, he's very much justified that wild card. Um, and again, he's another player that is not benefiting from this, from the lack of ranking points. You know, he would be right up there, wouldn't he? Um, but yeah, that's that's a frustration. But hopefully, you know, he can give Novak a good run for his money to write when he's got absolutely nothing to lose so I'm quite curious to see how how he gets on against against Novak and even though John Isner didn't get through for the Americans we did have double American success from Francis Tiafo and Tommy Paul uh, with Tiafo coming through Alexander Bublik in four sets and then Tommy Paul coming through Yuri Vesely in three sets so um, yeah I think you know going into the tournament Francis Tiafo you know, I you know I was thinking, could he do something here? It's great to see him living up to the living up to his billing. I think he's into the fourth round for the first time. Tommy Paul, a little bit more of a surprise package. He's got Cam Norrie tomorrow, who is in the fourth round of Wimbledon for the first time. I swear, another player, Kim. We just he just like was in the third round all the time. So it's great to see him breaking through. Um, I think. I mean, you you WhatsApp me saying you think Tommy Paul's going to win that. Um, I have to say, that given the way Norrie's been playing, I got to put Norrie as the you know the as the favourite there. Um, but uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a tough battle. I think Norrie shouldn't underestimate Paul because he is playing some very good tennis at the moment, and another player who probably is going under the radar on the outside courts. Yeah, I mean, you're you're seeing this match tomorrow, I think, aren't you, Joel, on, on court mm. one? I just feel, I mean, Cameron Norris done great getting through to the fourth round. You know, it's his first time at this stage, but I'm just sensing British disappointment. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I feel that Tommy Paul, yeah, I just, I feel like he's easy I mean, he's to... he's not dropped a set yet. Exactly. I think he's easy to underestimate. Uh, and I just feel like he's had some good results on the grass building up to Wimbledon. And I don't know, I feel like it, it would be four sets or something. I don't think he, he like Norrie's going to lose in straights or anything. But I I mean, I'm I'm obviously wanting Norrie to win. I think it'd be fantastic and well-deserved for him to reach the quarters of a slam, you know, what with all of his, his good results and titles over the last year or so. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm cute. There's a lot of matches tomorrow that I'm actually like, genuinely quite open in terms of who's going to win um you know they, they, I think there's some really really decent ties and a few names yeah that I've just I've, I've been going under the radar like Francis TFO you know w- no one's really been talking about him um so it's nice that he's been able to, to come through and and make it into I guess the second week although it's the Sunday it's you know we, we, this is the first <laughs> this is the first like proper mm. Sunday isn't it there's no no middle Sunday so it's gonna be I know we can't say weird. they've reached the second week 
assuming they've got to round four. Exactly. It's, not, it's still the it's same. Not true anymore. It's still the same week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, talking of the schedule for tomorrow, let's have a quick look at it before we end this episode. We've got on centre court Watson and Niemeyer opening up, followed by Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz, and then Novak Djokovic versus Tim van Rijthoven. Court one has Tatiana Maria Ostapenko. Nori v. Paul, and then Mertens, Yabor. Then on court two, we've got Bushkova versus Garcia. And David Goffan, Kim, someone we haven't mentioned yet, against Francis Tiafo. So some interesting matches there tomorrow. Where where are you... Uh... Where are you looking? Well, I'm I'm actually not going tomorrow. I'm I'm going to stay at home and have a lion because I have like had zero sleep. Um, I'm going to have breakfast in bed and watch Caroline Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> I think at eleven a.m. Um, is that is that technically breakfast time? I feel like that's more brunch. brunch. Time. I'm going to have a French inspired brunch. Um, oh, hashtag Renaissance. Some crepes. Some crepes. Ooh, for... Yeah, I could, I could I could do some crepes. Croissant, pan au chocolat. Yeah, we've got to get get the baguette out. <laughs> Maybe she'll have a bakery, bagels and uh, <laughs> bagels and breadsticks. We'll see. Yeah, some kind of bread products. But I mean, talking of bread and food, you're going to court one, aren't you? Hospitality tomorrow. Get you. I know. Oh, I was I was speaking. I I think we should do like maybe we'll do a little bonus pod of like a little Wimbledon guide of you and the queue and how to do that properly. And then I can do how to do hospitality properly. I've been picking out my clothes uh, all this week. I've been worrying about what to wear. Uh, maybe I'll put it up on our Instagram tomorrow just to show people how how Tennis Weekly handles hospitality. At Are you going to wear a Tennis Weekly tie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a very good thing. We well, if if Tennis Weekly ties existed, maybe we need to get we need to get in contact with our distributors, don't we, and get a tie made. Yeah, and then you could wrap us at Wimbledon Hospitality. <laughs> no, I mean, I hope you have a good time. I I was having a look. I think the menu is like Raymond Blanc or some celebrity chef has, has done your food, so I'm sure it'll be tasty. And hopefully the tennis will, will live up to the bill as well. Um, but yeah, we'll be back on Monday evening to round up the fourth round action. And then we'll look forward to very much to hearing about your experience tomorrow, Joel. Yes. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. I love how you said tomorrow because we are now it is tomorrow. into Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is depressingly Sunday. It is 10 past midnight. But uh, yes, uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to this round three catch up with tennis weekly remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action from week two at wimbledon on whatever device you listen to us on we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts or spotify and you can follow us on social media we're on facebook instagram and twitter at tennis weekly pod so do give us a like and a follow if you don't already let us know all your thoughts and feedback and comments about everything that's going on in the tennis world all the controversies all the aggro you name it um let us know your thoughts um also you can email us tennisweeklypod at gmail.com if you prefer or check out our website www.tennisweekly.co.uk
and we will be back on Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ to catch up on all the action from round four at Wimbledon. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.